Okay, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Let's look at verses 22 through 36. Matthew 14, familiar passage, very familiar. You remember after the feeding of 5,000 plus, immediately he made them, Jesus made them, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes that were, had just been fed away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when he was, it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many, or a far distance away, many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were frightened saying it is a ghost and they cried out for fear but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying take courage it is I do not fear and Peter answered him and said Lord if it is you command me to come to you on the water and he said come and Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately the Lord stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, You are certainly God's son. First time. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they went into all the surrounding district and brought him all who were sick. In other words, his uh, reputation was going before him. They had heard it about him. And they began to entreat him and they, that, he might touch, that they might be able to touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were cured. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that your grace open our eyes to your truth, the message that you have for us, the word that you have for our hearts, our lives, the direction, the uh, warning or instruction or encouragement, whatever it might be, Lord. I just pray that your grace with its sufficiency, may the Holy Spirit use this to touch our our lives in a very special way so that our minds and our hearts may be enlightened and open to you. I can't do it, but I can be a vessel used by you to just deliver the word, share the word with others and the Holy Spirit, your spirit work in and through our lives. So I just pray that that might happen this morning. God, you take control. You get the honor. You get the praise. You get the glory for it all. As you touch our lives and deal with us, in a personal way, in a way that you see fit, that will better us, that will bring us closer to you, that will help us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this is a transitional uh, section, and it's so very important because we see what's happened uh, before. Now we have quite a bit to happen yet, but the pace is picking up. And it, he's going towards the cross, and so it's the uh, ultimate crisis to be faced, the cross and the resurrection. That 
comes after that. And so the passage, you know, we've just looked at is, has been dealing with the 5,000 plus. 5,000 men plus the women and children. That Jesus took the five uh, loaves, two fish, and fed all of these people. Multiplied the food. And it says they all ate and were satisfied in verses 20 and 21. And they picked up what was left over of their broken pieces, 12 full baskets, and there were 5,000 men who ate, aside from women and children. So we have a miracle. And with this miracle, the unique thing about it is there was plenty left over. They were all satisfied, and there were 20, 12 baskets full left over. Now, these weren't just small baskets. These were baskets that contained plenty of food. So we have what we, uh, you know, we see a need being met. But there is some problem with this today, and that is as we look at these miracles, we need to understand a few things before we go further and look at the miracle of uh, Peter walking on the water. And first of all, there is a problem with us today with a miracle like feeding them 5,000. How many of you have ever really been hungry? I mean, been hungry without any food. Very few. How many of you have gone a long time without food? How many of you have had to depend upon uh, you know, a very little to even get little for yourself. Very few in here. And none of us understand what these people went through. Because you see, for a meal to happen, uh, a person had to prepare and prepare most of the day. That's why the women were working, cooking, and any of the children to help all day long. They were preparing the meals. It wasn't just a going to McDonald's and picking up a hamburger real quick. You see, our problem today is that you know what we need, we have when we need it, and even before we need it. We've got it out there. So it's hard for us to understand a culture like this and what they were going through. There was a true yearning. And I doubt if there's a true yearning with us. And see, there, uh, we, we've got so much today. Even the poor and what we call neglected have much more than what a lot of those had here in America. And so what I'm saying today is, is that we have a problem with yearning. We have a problem with understanding what yearning, true yearning means. And Jesus was trying to illustrate metaphorically through this story about him being the bread of life and him being able to provide for them their deepest need, which is their spiritual need. This is why a lot of times people today don't have a deep yearning for the Lord. Because they don't understand what stories like this really teach. But, you know, it's not just a deep yearning that we have a problem with. Another problem is that we don't look towards the future like these people were looking towards. You see, this yearning that they had, they weren't being uh, taken care of by Herod, were they? Nor were they really being taken care of by Rome. What they 
wanted was to be taken care of by God who was to send them their what? Messiah. And Jesus was using this to let them know that he is their Messiah. He's going to take care of them. And he was letting them know through this teaching. You see, this was a teaching experience for these people. It was more than just feeding them. It was a teaching experience. Uh, You know, we talked about this earlier, that Jesus didn't just use miracles. He didn't just heal people, just to heal people. He healed people with a purpose. And that purpose was pointing further to the spiritual truth of who he was and what was coming. And so these people were yearning for the future. And the future was the Messiah coming. And one day they knew that there was going to be, as Revelation tells us, a great feast with the Lamb of God. And they're looking for that great feast where they will be with him for all eternity having all their needs met. And so there was a a yearning there, a looking forward to the future. But then there's also a problem that we have. You know, we we don't, I, I think we're so content and satisfied with this world that we don't look forward to the Lord's coming like we should be honest I mean I I don't a lot of times I don't sometimes I do more than others when things start coming up in the news and different things and you hear about things all over the world and you say Lord I just wish you'd come take care of it all but for the most part man we're pretty content aren't we we're content individuals And there's not that looking forward, that yearning for the Lord to come back like we should. But the the last problem that I was going to tell you about is we also have a problem when we read these miracles of looking at the miracle backwards. What do I mean by that? I mean, we already know what's happened. We already know that the Lord's come. We already know that one day he's coming again. We already know that he's died and and he was uh, buried and he's rose again. That our sins can be forgiven through him. We already know all of that. And so in turn, when we look at these men, we know it and it's in our mind and it really isn't that confusing or we're not trying to learn the lesson like we should. And that's where they are. They're trying to understand it. And little by little, things are being revealed. They don't know the end. They don't know what's happening. We have that advantage. And so when reading the Gospels, we don't feel like those who are experiencing these miracles for the first time. And we need to reach deep down in our hearts and souls and our minds and try to place ourselves there. How would you feel if this was happening? When reading 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we need to be reminded that we are not yet in chapter 28. We know that Jesus will die and he'll be buried and he'll be raised again. When reading chapter 14, we need to remember that the disciples don't know that. So, Let's place ourselves there in trying to help 
to understand how they face these miracles. First of all, I want you to look at the motive for sending the crowd home and the disciples away in the boat. Jesus said and immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. What was happening? Well, he just fed 5,000 plus, 12 baskets full left over. He had performed miracles before now. The crowd had responded in a, in a, a, a great way. And so, humanly speaking, they were getting ready to make him, crown him king. A lot of them. And so, uh, you know, Jesus knew what was coming. So it was not the right timing. And that's so very important with all of us as believers. The right timing is so important with the Lord. We can jump ahead of him, can't we? We can neglect him and fall behind. And a lot of times it's difficult and we just have to by faith trust the Lord and go and continue on and, and believe that this is where God wants us to be when he wants us to be. There's a slogan in America that politicians uh, used to use years ago. It went something like, elect me and there'll be a chicken in every pot. You remember that? <laughs> well, what were they saying? Get me in office and all your needs will be met. Things really haven't changed up here in Washington, have they, <laughs> over the years. But as I said earlier, Herod was not taking care of the problem, nor Rome. The crowd observed Jesus, and he did these supernatural uh, things, and so their response was, hey, you know, we like this. Let's follow him. Let's make him our king. He's, he's meeting our needs, our physical needs. And Jesus is, in a sense, having an urgency here to send his disciples away because he knew the timing was not right. He must go by way of the cross before he was made king. And so, in turn, it's almost as if Jesus doesn't want his disciples too close to this speculation. Not now, because if they saw this, he knows that they could jump ship and they could uh, join the crowd. And they could say, hey, Jesus, this sounds pretty good. Man, these people from Galilee, they, they, uh, they could really uh, improve your campaign for becoming king. Man, look at the following here. Let's go with it. Let's let them send out the news. But Jesus doesn't want that because it's not timing. I mean, the timing is wrong. It's not uh, meant for him to, to go and be their king yet. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. That's very important, to the other side. He wanted them to go to the other side. They needed to understand this. This is a test that they were going through. He sent the multitudes away, and after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When it was uh, evening, he was there alone. So the timing is so very important, but it, it, it's also important to look at Jesus and the example here. Uh, immediately he sends the crowds away, and he puts the uh, disciples in the boat, or has them get in the boat and go across this, uh, the water. And it was the same day as a miracle, and so there was a need to spend time with the Father. That's so very crucial. We get so busy that before we know it, we're not spending time with the Father in prayer, are we? 
I mean, we're just going about our business. It would have been easy for Jesus just to continue on, but he's setting a pattern. He's setting an example for us that just as he depended upon his father, we also need to. After sending the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, spending time with the crowd and spending time with disciples, Jesus is in need of spending time with the father. He sent them away so that he could be alone. He wanted to be alone so that he could pray. And it's so hard. Two things I think in, in Christian life are hard, the hardest. It's not so much hard, uh, I mean, it's not so hard, excuse me, to read the Bible. Because it's very interesting at times and you can get into it. But to read the Bible and pray also. I mean, not just send up a little prayer. Lord, give me some understanding as I read the Bible. I mean, really pray. Really talk to God about your life, about the Word of God, about it speaking to your heart, and how you can apply it to your life, to live the kind of life, to walk and be in the journey that God would have you to be in. Sometimes that, that prayer means that we stay on our knees a good little while. It's not just jumping up. A lot easier just to read, isn't it? It's, it's easier for me. I think it's easier for all of us. And then the other thing, of course, as we'll talk about as we go further on in, in the gospel is uh, when the Great Commission comes out, the hardest thing, I think, for believers to do is to witness. I really do. I'm not, I'm not talking, and this, this can be part of it, and we'll talk about this more as we go along trying to get our outreach going better. But, you know, it's not just inviting people to church. That's good and that's part of it. But when we get to the point where we really have a yearning, a, a desire to see people saved and, and we believe that there's heaven or hell and, and, and that, that we are the messengers that God sent out and, and we need to get the word to them because we care for them. We honestly believe that. And I'm talking about a witness. You don't have to know CWT, Evangelism, Explosion, Faith, whatever program the Southern Baptist may put out. All you've got to do is know maybe some scripture, memorize some scripture. But if not, just uh, highlight it in, your, in a little pocket Bible. But, but know your testimony. That's the best way to just sit down and talk to somebody. Let me share with you what's been happening in my life. And then move from there into the reason it, it's been happening. What God has done for you. If we're a born again believer, we all have that. But those two things are more difficult, I believe, than, than reading and studying the Word of God. But Jesus shares with us the importance of prayer. That it's so crucial. And so he needed to be alone with the one who would, uh, whose will he had come to do on earth. And the, the Lord needed to commune with the one in whose likeness he, he was. And then we see the uh, disciples' obedience here. Uh, now the focus is directed to the disciples and they obey the Lord, it says, and immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. They did, and they go ahead of him 
to the other side while he sent the multitude away. Jesus sent the disciples across the lake to the other side. That was his intent, to the other side. Now, there's some things that we need to understand about this. First of all, they met with some strong winds, didn't they? They were struggling out there. And also, Jesus comes walking on them. We'll talk about later, and they think he's a ghost. But just because we're doing God's will, this is so very important. Just because we're doing God's will doesn't mean that we will be exempt from problems, from trials, from temptations. Just the opposite, really, isn't it? When you're in the, in the middle of God's will, I guarantee you that's part of your growing experience, isn't it? And usually, more than likely, most of the time, part of that growing experience, just like lifting weights, man, it can, I mean, it gets tough at times, especially if you want to go further and, and stretch further and, and get bigger and, and, and tougher and, and stronger. It takes a lot of endurance. And, and you just, you know, you just feel it and you, you experience it and it's, and it's, you know, the tightness and the stretching and, and, and all of that. The strength that, that needs to be built up and the endurance. Well, this is the way it is with our Christian walk. Man, it, it's not an easy journey. It is a journey that we're going to be faced with problems, trials, and temptations. Second of all, we need to realize that sometimes trials... And troubles come because of obedience to Christ and not our disobedience. That's so very important. I remember, and I've shared with you, when, when I was in Rome at, at, uh, going to this church and, and I was sharing with this Christian about, you know, the difficulties that I was experiencing at another church. I'd filled in to preach at this church while I was serving on staff at another church. And I had a young minister tell me, boy, you must be out of God's will. Not necessarily. You see, a lot of times, yes, when we're out of God's will, God will send these storms to awaken us. To get us back into the will that he has for our lives. But often, though, we don't need to be confused just because, I, well, I thought I was doing God's will. I thought I was having a daily time with him. I thought I was praying with him. I thought I was doing pretty good. Why am I facing all of these? Well, it may be just because he loves you and he's having you go through these. Not because you're disobedient, because he wants you to become stronger. James tells us in 1.12, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. When you encounter various trials. Not if. God often is preparing to take us to the next level in our Christian experience. And with this verse in James 1-2, it also tells us that trials don't necessarily have to be enjoyed. You see, what needs to be realized is that enjoyment occurs when we realize that God is doing something good through the trial. That's when the enjoyment comes. 
If we believe that and know that, then we say, hey, Lord, I don't like what I'm having to go through, but God, I want to tell you, I know that what I'm having to go through is going to get me where I'm supposed to be, and it's going to be a lot better because I'm going to see not only where you're going to be moving me, but you at work in the midst of all of this. And so that's the joy that he's talking about there. The winds were not favorable, it says. In other words, they weren't getting very far. They should have already been to shore. And you've got to realize these guys were tired. They'd been there all day long with te the teaching of Jesus, uh, the miracle that had been performed, and now they're out on the water. They would probably say, hey, man, we could have made it just by walking a lot quicker than this. And so we see that the strong winds were keeping them from moving that fast. And in verse 25 it says, And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. You see, Jews divided the 12 hours into three watches. But they went by the Roman. The writers here went by the Roman watches, which were four watches. 6 to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to midnight, midnight to 3 a.m., and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., which was this time right now. And so um, it was a dark period of the morning. And this is telling us that it's really taking this little boat a long time to get nowhere, really. And so the disciples probably didn't care about fighting all these winds like that, they were probably tired. And then all of a sudden, what do they see? They see this person walking on the water, but they think it's a ghost. Kind of reminds me of two fishermen that always fish together, and they ask their friend, preacher friend, to come with them. And so they went to the lake that they were most familiar with, they were fishing for brim, cork, worms, uh, you know, uh, crickets, whatever. And so they were sitting up in a cove and catching brim on the bed. Well, one of them that fished there, one of the guys, uh, he decided he was hungry and thirsty. So he said, I'll be back in a little bit. And so he just got up and walked across the water and went and got him some crackers and a drink and then came back across the water and got back in the boat. In a little bit, the other guy said, you know, I, I think I'll go get me something too. And so he got up and walked across the water, came back, sat down. Well, the preacher said, man, they're not going to outdo me. I'm hungry too. So he got up, stepped out of the boat, and sunk. Two guys looked at one another and said, must not know where the stumps are. Well, it wasn't Jesus knowing where the stunts are. You've got to realize, people, this has never occurred. Nobody has walked on water except Jesus. Now, I know we've got machines and different things like this that help people, you know, zoom across the water and you, know, you can ski on top of the water, but I'm talking about walking on water. So let's place ourselves in their minds, in their bodies, then. 
what they must be thinking. Here comes some, and it's dark. Here comes something walking across the water. Now, they become fearful. If you were with them, the disciples' reactions, I mean, they were afraid. We would have been too. I would have been hunting for some stumps to walk on to get to shore or diving in and swimming to shore. You do not see someone walking on water. What's their reaction? Verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened. They were terrified, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. One thing I want us to look at here. Often when in the midst of trials, our perspective isn't very clear. They said, it's a ghost, referring to a spirit. When they saw Jesus coming, they feared for the fact that this could, you know, this could be a, a ghost coming after them. The death ghost. The death spirit. They, they had never seen a blood and flesh walk on water. They had never heard of anybody doing that. And if it was coming after them, it probably meant that it may, have, may be an evil spirit. And it may mean that they were doomed. You see, fishermen could fight a storm and have some kind of hope for success, but they couldn't fight against a spirit. So they cried out in fear. And another thing we need to see here, often when in the midst of trials our perspective is not clear, we don't see it clearly. You know, just like them seeing Jesus, they didn't see Jesus, they saw a ghost. So often when we're in the midst of trials, we, we see our troubles around us. And they look so much bigger, don't they? They look so much more awful. They look so much more terrible. And, and if we continue to focus on that, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. I, I become discouraged. I don't know about you. When I do that, I become down and out. I begin to worry. I begin to fear. How, how am I going to work this out? This financial situation. This problem with my children. This thing that's happened with our finances. Uh, I miss that some way or another in posting it. That's a big amount. What, what am I going to do? And I begin to worry. And worry begins to cause me to fear and fret. And you know, a lot of times, I'm fretfully trying to work these things out, and I haven't even asked the Lord. Haven't even seen him in the midst of it to help me. Now, I know you don't do that, but I do that. But second thing is, when we fail the test God has given us, you can be guaranteed that you'll have to take it again. 
to pass. You see, when you fail a test often enough, you may have to take the course over again. You ever had to do that? Sure, I'm not going to ask you to hold your hands up, but Mark 6, 52, we're told they had not gained any insight from the instant of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Wow. Mark 6, 52. Matthew is helping us understand that the disciples are pretty much where they were before. You remember in, in uh, Matthew 8, when Jesus was in the boat and a storm comes up and they're fretful because the winds and the water are, are overtaking them and they come back there and Jesus sleep, man. He's calm as can be. They shake, hey, wake up, wake up. All right, don't you care? Well, Matthew's letting us know that they're pretty much still there. The water, I mean, they've come some way because we'll see how they refer to Jesus in a little bit, but uh, they, they, they have come some way but in their faith, but they're pretty much here. And Jesus knows this, and he wants them to learn to trust him because he said, I am no longer going to be with you. Later on, he'll tell them, you know. I'm going away, but I'm going to send a comforter to be with you. And you're going to be facing these. So please, you won't see me physically, but you'll sense me spiritually. So please, learn this stuff. We, uh, they thought that they were about to die, and here the response is about the same. They, uh, they cried out in fear. Now, we can say, and be careful when we say, well, they haven't learned too much. They haven't learned a whole lot. But we've got to remember where they are. If we were in that boat, we were in the situation, we may be the same. We have the end, you remember, of the story, and we're reading back, looking at the story. But they don't have that. And look at Jesus' response. To the disciples in verse 27. And immediately Jesus spoke to them saying. Immediately. Take courage. It is I. And look at that phrase. It is I. You, do you know that same phrase is I am? Same phrase. I am. Do not be afraid. So first of all Jesus letting them know. Hey I care about you. It is I. This is like the equivalent of the Old Testament affirmation of Jehovah when he encouraged Israel in their deepest moments of need. I am he in Isaiah 43, 2 and Deuteronomy 32, 39. Jesus reaches out to them, but he reaches out to them immediately, showing his love and his concern. Now, second of all, Jesus cares, but he also knows where we are at all times. Look at that. And, uh, you know, he knew where they were. He knew that they, they weren't getting anywhere. In Matthew 6, 48, we're told, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and, attend, and intended to pass by them, letting them know that it was he. Jesus' eye was constantly upon the disciples whom he loved. And we can rest assured that his eye is constantly upon us. He doesn't ever turn his head away from us. He loves us. 
Though clouds of trouble may obscure the face of God, he sees us with his impeccable clarity. Jesus knew the velocity of the wind. This is the neat thing about it. He knew the precise direction that they were going in, where they were. He knew the timing of every gust of wind. He knew the strength of every individual board of the boat. And he knew how much it would take, how many of the waves and how, how strong the waves were, how much it would take of the battering to destroy the boat. He knew all of this. And he's telling them and letting them know, and I know you just like that. I know what you're going through. I know your heart. Isn't that comforting to know? Man, when we don't want anybody else to know really how we feel sometimes, when we may be ashamed to let somebody know, well, I'm fearful or I'm discouraged. I shouldn't be. Or I'm having this problem, or I'm having that problem. I'm having this temptation, or I'm having that trial. I just feel like giving up, but I don't want anybody to know that. They might think that I'm not that strong a Christian. I should be going through this without that feeling. He knows. He knows exactly where you are. And do you know... The neat thing about that, he wasn't going to place too much on that boat or them to where they were going to sink. He wanted them to get the cross to the other side. That's the same way with us. He doesn't want us to sink. That's not his intent. He wants us to come through it. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to maybe not enjoy the trial, but enjoy seeing what Jesus does in and through the trial. Sometimes Jesus uses this third thing, the very thing that looks like our worst problem to deliver us. Jesus came walking on the water. They believe him to be a ghost. And what? They became fearful. Jesus assured them that it was him. It is I. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. You see, Jesus answers their fear with a declaration of deity. The very thing, that image, that ghost that they feared was one who would deliver them. Wow. Isn't that great? So often, Jesus uses the very thing that looks like our worst problem to deliver us. You ever been in there? I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know. This is terrible. I wish this had never happened. I wish that you know, I didn't have to experience this. This is awful. I feel awful. And then all of a sudden, 
it becomes the very thing that we see the Lord in to bring us through, to make us stronger, to make us more dependent upon Him, to help us with our walk with Him, to bring us further along with Him. You experiencing anything today like that? I know some of you have, and all, we all do. It may be physical. It may be a temptation. Maybe a financial trial. Maybe a family trial. Maybe health. You know, don't worry about trying to hide it from others. And don't, especially don't worry about trying to hide it from Jesus. He knows how you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you can take. Now, I know sometimes we don't think he does. I mean, I feel like sometimes, hey, God, get me out of this. I can't take anymore. But he wants me to learn to continually rely upon him. And that's not always easy. I'm like you. I'm like anybody else. I like to be in control of things. And things not be out of control with me. But you can know and you can rest assured. God knows where you are. He cares. And he's there with you. Let's bow our heads in prayer.